And thank you. Maybe see unless you celebrate a birthday and anniversary. We'd like to recognize you at this time. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house today and have each one of you with us. What a beautiful day. Uh, we received a text from Miss Pam. She's up in Maryland, and uh, she was saying that uh, their church had had water issues and the auditorium had flooded this last week, so they were meeting out underneath a tent, and it was 54 degrees. And I looked at my car temperature, and it was 48, so I quickly sent her a text. I said, wow, enjoy that heat wave <laughs> as you're in church today. So, you know, we could be out in a tent. That would be nice. been awful beautiful, and it sure beats the 100 degrees that we've had. Amen? Uh, so we have much to be thankful for. Amen. A few things from the bulletin uh, following the morning, uh, the afternoon service. Uh, we'll have another meeting about that crazy sign. And uh, hopefully we get that nailed down. Uh, we're in revival this week. It's good to have the Humberts uh, with us. We'll be talking about that a little more. And uh, as I've mentioned, uh, so there's actually six different times that uh, Brother Humbert's going to be preaching for us. And half of that will be over today. And so and we have Sunday school, Sunday morning, and then uh, the afternoon service. And so half of the revival is over. So I'm glad you're here for the first half. Want to stick around uh, for lunch and, and get the first half underway. Then Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock here at the church. And uh, look forward uh, to uh, the revival that God is uh, going to bring. Uh, ladies meeting, uh, October 20th, Patch Pirate, uh, the 23rd. They're going to have a program in the afternoon service. Fall Praise Festival, October 29th. We'll be going to the Foster Farm. We'll have sign-up sheets as closer to that. Uh, teen fundraiser October 31st, and then ladies Thanksgiving. Hard to believe we're already talking about Thanksgiving. Uh, but uh, ladies Thanksgiving November 5th here at the church, uh, and uh, they always have a great time with that. Prayer needs here. Ask that you remember to pray for each and every one of these that are listed, uh, that God would continue to work. I uh, was talking with Mrs. Gilson last week. And uh, she told me that it looks like the middle of November they should be adopting grandchildren officially. And so that's a great blessing and answer to prayer. Ask that you continue to pray for them. And then, uh, as we've done the last several years, we'll be having a Gilson Christmas uh, in uh, uh, December. And so uh, we'll be announcing that as we get closer to December. Uh, but if you want to, you can pick up uh, Walmart gift cards. Usually work the best for them. And uh, we sure want to be a blessing as they raise those grandchildren, <laughs> keep them in church, and want to be a blessing. That. Um, I want to thank you for your prayers. Those who were, were here Wednesday night uh, talked about going to run the road a little bit. And so we clocked about 1,000 miles over the last two days. Got in bed about midnight every night. So I feel young and invigorated. <laughs> We had a great uh, ordination service down at Rogersville, ordained a young man into the ministry, 27-year-old man uh, for the ministries, picking up where his father-in-law left off there uh, at Heritage Baptist Church, and uh, so thankful for that. And then uh, yesterday morning, left early to go to a family wedding. You say, well, you know, family weddings, you know, what they are. Uh, this is a bunch of cowboys and farmers, and... Uh, the wedding was unique in and of itself. Uh, it, 
the vows weren't any, well, it was fluff with what it was. But anyhow, uh, they, they uh, exchanged those vows, and then uh, they began, they, they had asked me if I would say the blessing. I wanted to do that uh, for the, the witness to the family. And uh, so we stayed around, and boy, it was, you know how the world is. It's just ugly. They start drinking and carrying on, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, as it came time for the blessing of the food, the DJ guy said, okay, now everybody needs to get seated so we can have the blessing. Did that like four times. Everybody got seated, and they took their hats off. And uh, then I began to give a testimony of how I met uh, Elena, the lady that married into the family, and um, talked about the Lord. And so it was kind of a breath of fresh air in the midst of their chaos. And so just pray that that'll have some fruit. Amen. And we all have family members like that, right? I mean, you, you look for any opportunity to plant the seed, and I think it was planted. Uh, matter of fact, Caden, uh, Cindy's first cousin, uh, when her dad tried to win him to the Lord, he just flat refused talking about God at all. And then yesterday after prayer, he come up and hugged us both and thanked us for coming and praying. And so uh, even if it's just for him, I'd love to see Caden come to know the Lord. And uh, so thank you for your prayers. And uh, we're glad that that's over. And we're glad we're here for revival and glad we have Brother Humbert preaching it, right? We're glad to have Brother Humbert preaching, and it's just going to be a great uh, three days here with the Lord. Going to have Brother Foster come back, Lisa, another song, and then we'll have Brother Humbert come preach for us. Good. Let's stand once again. We'll sing hymn number 324, Draw Me Nearer. The first and the last verse is the hymn number 
Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Open your Bible, please, to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And I'll introduce my wife sitting next to me where I was seated is Lori Humbert. So if you don't like the sermon, just hang out with her. It'll help smooth it over. She's, she's just going to be a blessing to you this week. I'm praying and sure that will happen. Psalm 51. We can't talk about a revival without thinking of Psalm 51. Those of you who've been saved any time at all, you will agree with me because it's just commonly associated that Psalm 51 is perhaps one of the great revival chapters in all the Bible. Those of you who've been saved, is that true? Are you aware with that? It's a great chapter because of who wrote it. It's a great chapter because of when he wrote it. It's a great chapter because of how he wrote it and why he wrote it. Well, who wrote it? Well, it was David, a man after God's own heart. And it was written after he was confronted about a deep secret sin in his life, adultery and murder. It was written with a broken and a contrite, a humble spirit. It was written to confess his sin to God and beg God for personal revival. If you're one of those that like to outline chapters as I often do, you will find that the first four verses, you'll find David confessing his sin to God. In verses 5 through 9, you'll find him confessing his total dependence upon God. Verses 10 through 13, he cries for personal purity. Verses 14 through 19, cries for God's glory to be exalted. I'm suggesting today that if you get nothing out of the messages from your guest speaker, you would do real well by reading, memorizing, meditating, and even praying Psalm 51. Tremendous chapter. And so if you'll allow me, I'm going to read the chapter. In fact, why don't we just stand together and for the reading of God's Word, we'll read the majority of the chapter, if not all. We'll commence in verse number 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. 
Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure undesigned. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar, Quite frankly, we stood to read Psalm 51. In reality, we probably should have knelt to read this chapter. I want to draw your attention to the first eight words in verse number 12 for our attention today. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. This morning, I'm going to teach. I'm not going to preach. I'll preach in the a.m. service. I'll preach in the afternoon service. Sunday school, I'm going to teach. You say, what's the difference? Well, when I teach, I'll talk to you. When I preach, I'll yell at you. <laughs> and so if you're a little sensitive, you might want to sit a little further back in the, in the morning service, in the afternoon service. In fact, I'm going to have to yell quite a bit in that second service because some of you are going to eat way too much. And you're going to be way too tired to hear yet another sermon. But I'm going to do my best. But more importantly than hearing the preacher this morning, we need to follow the command of Revelation 2 and 3. Hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And so today, I want to talk a little bit, teach a little bit on the joy in revival. Let's pray. Father, I'm going to do the very best I can to teach your word this morning. I'd like to think everyone here today is saved, and more than likely that's true. But there might be a soul here today that's still struggling inside outwardly. They don't want to to be a distraction. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. But inwardly, they're just a mess. They have no confidence of their eternal destiny. They don't know if they were to die tonight, they'd go to heaven. And so, Father, I pray even now that your Holy Spirit would open their eyes to where they could see and clearly understand the gospel and be saved today, and certainly before it's eternally too late. But for this church in particular, I pray that you would work in our hearts. This is a time we've set aside for revival services, and Father, We know we need revival. And so we echo the words of the psalmist and ask you today, wilt thou not revive us again? And for that, we'll thank you in advance. 
For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. You may be seated. Americans believe in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. And yet some of the happiest people I have ever met were people that lived in the bush country of Honduras. On a missions trip, Lori and I had the privilege of taking, we met people that did not have TV, did not have a toaster, did not have a microwave, did not have video games, did not have lights in the home. They did not have flushing toilets. They didn't have a kitchen sink where they would have running water. They basically had nothing that American Christians enjoy every single day and quite frankly complain about. And yet, these people were some of the happiest people we ever met. We took a group of teenagers down there and they came back saying, wow, let's take up an offering and and buy them a generator so they can have a TV and and send them a Game Boy. And and I said, well, what are you, they're they're happy. You already made that statement. These are the happiest people you've ever seen. Why would you want them to become like you? (laughs) I heard a teenager once say, I'd be a whole lot happier if I, and I stopped him right there. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If you're not happy with what you have, how can you be happier with anything? Money never did buy happiness. And quite frankly, credit cards haven't done much better. A small house will hold as much happiness as a big one. And sometimes more. And with all the stuff that Americans have, you would think we would be the happiest people on the planet. Happiness does not come from what you have, but from what you are. Now that's easy to say about Americans, but we're fundamental, independent, narrow-minded, King James only, red-letter edition, no fun Baptists. And we're talking about those folks that didn't get up to come to Revival Sunday School. That'll come strutting in for church, maybe. And will leave after they get fed and go home. But we're the elite. We're the, we're the special forces right here. We are happy. Can't you tell? A quick look at faces of most Americans would indicate most Americans are not happy. Let's be honest. I'm here to preach revival services. And so I'm not going to teach you anything you don't know, but I am going to try to stir up some thinking here today. Because Christianity in America has been glossed over. All we're concerned about is what we look like on the outside. And quite frankly, most Christians, when they leave church, are not happy. We're happy to be here. This is where our friends are. We're happy to be here because they play our kind of music. We're happy to be here because we we just love church and, and we do love God. But for some reason, that happiness doesn't make it out of the parking lot. 
sometimes doesn't make it out of home. Young third grader sitting in Sunday school where his dad was the teacher and his teacher asked the class, why would anyone think that I'm a Christian? He was trying to get them to think some of the characteristics of a Christian. Why would anyone think that I'm a Christian? Those third graders did not respond. And so he said, no, think with me. Why would someone think that I'm a Christian? And now he's getting desperate because the children are not responding. So he looked at his son and he said, son, answer the question. Why would anyone think that I'm a Christian? And his son said, because they don't know you. (laughs) Today, I want to try to help God's people here to have the joy of their salvation restored. Happiness, you can buy. You have enough money, you can buy all those little quick fixes. The joy, somebody's already purchased for us. And you can enjoy that even when things are very difficult. And if you are in the human race, things will be difficult. And it may have already been difficult for you this morning. But the joy of the Lord can permeate even through those difficult times. Let me give you some thoughts about the joy of our salvation in this text. Look, first of all, in verse number 11, we see that joy is the fruit of the Spirit. He says, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, I'm not going to get in a theological debate, especially with your very smart pastor in the room. If he wasn't here, I might try to snow my way through it a little bit, but he might call me on it. There's a debate on whether or not Salvation is the same in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. I do know. Old Testament, New Testament, salvation is always by faith. Always by faith. Quite frankly, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord prior to Calvary. In my understanding, in verse number 11, David is so desperately desiring God. And yet at the same time, understands the severity of his sin. He knows he does not deserve God. He knows he doesn't deserve to be saved. He doesn't deserve God's blessings. And can I say something today? Most Christians, probably in this room, don't have that hard attitude. Most Christians, when they're confronted with their sin, unlike David, they blame or excuse, or they think little of it. David is overwhelmed with his sin. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Can I ask a question? I'm teaching now. I'm asking a question. Did David sin against Bathsheba? Did David sin against Uriah? Did David not sin against the nation of Israel? Did David not sin against his other children? Of course he did. But ultimately he knew that he needs to be right with God more than anybody else. Because if he's right with God, he will be right with everybody else. When a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies 
will be at peace with Him. And today, we're more concerned about how many friends on social media we can get to like us. We're more interested in how many people in church that will receive us. Forgetting that sin in our life, though exposed or unexposed, hinders our relationship with God. And David here, he knows he doesn't deserve God. He doesn't deserve God's blessing. He doesn't deserve God's spirit. And he prays in desperation. And take not thy spirit from me. Why? Because joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember when David was a young man, he was called upon to come into King Saul's presence. Remember when the evil spirit came on King Saul and the man was crazy? I mean, he was, he was a sinful man. He was sad. He was sick. He was heading down to suicidal tendencies. And, and so they called for David to, to come into the room and he began to play spiritual music. And the evil spirit departed from him. David was aware of what can happen when a man begins down that path of living independently of God. And now he's there. He's in the same spot he was called upon to help another. Now he's the one that is begging God for forgiveness. Salvation is of the Spirit. Happiness, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we're commanded, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Quench not the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Why? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself, because it's not there. There is no happier man or woman in this room this morning than the one who is spirit-filled. Too many Christians are driving down life's highway. They hit a foreign object in their route, and before long, the car begins to boom, boom, boom. And they... They look in the mirror and they can see that the tire is getting low. They stop and look at the tire. Yes, they've got a flat. Well, these tires can go an extra 50 miles. And so we're going to test that out. And so we continue driving and the ride is very bumpy. What does that man need to do? That man needs to stop, take the tire off, remove that foreign object, patch it up, and fill it back up with air so that he can drive smoothly down life's highway. The Christians today are living bumpy lives. And the sad thing is, we're so self-deceived, we're trying to give God glory for giving us grace to endure a flat tire. We're not going through persecution for the faith. We're not going through suffering for our stand in Christ. We're reaping the consequences of our sin. 
and we're driving through life with a flat tire, and if we don't stop and take care of it, we're going to destroy that tire needlessly. And if we're not careful in our Christian life and address the matter at hand, we're going to injure, yea, destroy something needlessly. What we need to do is to pull that sin out, that foreign object that doesn't belong in the life of a believer. Need to get it patched up with God's forgiveness and then filled with the Holy Spirit once again so that we can drive down life's highway. Are you listening to me this morning? Disney World doesn't bring happiness. Winning the lottery doesn't bring happiness. Having the perfect marriage doesn't bring happiness. Only the Holy Spirit can bring true happiness and joy. Secondly, joy is the force of strength. Joy brings energy. When you're unhappy, does anyone like understand this? Or maybe it is just me. When I'm not filled with joy, when I'm sad, when I'm depressed or angry, I find it very difficult to get motivated to do much of anything. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't even know that I want to get out of bed. All I want is another quart of ice cream to drown me out of my misery. Hallelujah. Uh, When I don't have joy, there's a lack of oomph in my spiritual life. Does anyone else understand what I'm talking about? Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Look in verse 13. He says, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Verse 12, verse 13. Then, circle the word then. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. Wow! When a man gets filled again with the joy of the Lord, he can't help but tell others about Jesus Christ. So many Christians in our church today claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but because of a lack of joy, they tell nobody about Jesus. My mind can't even fathom the thought that people can claim to be a follower of Christ and never witness, never win a soul to Christ. Did Jesus not say, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men? So if we're not fishing... We're not following. We're certainly not following as close as we can. I'm not condemning. I'm preaching to me. I'm teaching you. But I'm preaching to me. If we are filled with joy, we're going to have energy, strength. When you got saved, do you remember that day? Some of you, that's a long time back. But do you remember when you got saved? You felt like you could charge hell with a water pistol. I mean, you were, you were just full of joy. It's the force of strength. I think of the Macedonian church. Remember that church in 2 Corinthians when the Apostle Paul said of them, for their power, to their power, I bear record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. They wanted to give an offering and promised an offering a year in advance, 
And this was a church that was financially strapped. This was a church that was going through trials and tribulations. This is a church that the average uh, American would not want to join because they didn't have nice facilities. They didn't have great programs. In fact, it looked like they were being judged by God Himself. Things were tough. And yet, they gave beyond their power, their abilities. How do they do that? Well, the preceding verse says, the abundance of their joy. Man, when you're filled with joy, you're going to have strength to do past what you ever thought you could. And that is part of revival joy. A happy Christian is a powerful Christian. A happy family is indescribable. A happy church is overwhelming. The joy in revival is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the force of strength. Thirdly, let me give you another thought. It is the face of satisfaction. Look in verse number 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. When a man is joyful, it shows on his face. Oh, he may not have the grin of the joker, but there's a pleasant countenance that says, I am satisfied. And when you're satisfied, you don't care if someone else gets something more or bigger or more expensive or more exciting or more exotic. You're satisfied. You're content. Or as one man said, a man that is content has just enough. And a man that complains has too much. You don't have to get away to another state if you're in a happy state. Every person lives in one of two tents, content or discontent. The joy of revival brings the face of satisfaction. I think of the three Hebrew children. Man, I'm so glad this COVID thing is behind us. I think there'll probably be something else, but I'm thankful that that COVID stuff is over. I got, I mean, you couldn't even turn on TV. Everything was COVID, 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 COVID. And I'm, typically I try to make the best of things. And how do you, I mean, it was wearing on me and I'm trying to think of something nice to say about COVID. And I finally thought of something. I told our church, I said, well, COVID, now some of you already are coming out with the ugly face. <laughs> COVID, I want to tell you something good about it. It proves that China can manufacture something that will last longer than two months. So we can be happy about that. And everyone was fearing. I love your theme, fear not. My word. You know, you can't fear and have faith at the same time. Fear cannot occupy the same heart with faith at the same time. It's one or the other. Now you might try to compliment yourself that you can do both. You're just deceiving yourself. The just shall live by faith. Fear not. I tell our church there are 365 fear nots in the Bible. That's one for every day. You don't have a right to fear anything any day of the year. The only time that you can have a little bit of fear is in leap year. When we have 366 days, so save it up 
for February 29th and then be scared to death. Have a Halloween costume. Do something. Be scared of everything. Your shadow, your, your mate, your kids. Every, just be scared. Get it out of your system because the rest of the time you have no business fearing. God says, fear not. Three Hebrew children are in the fiery furnace. I can see average fundamental independent Baptists. Well, this, this isn't God's will for my life. He, this isn't what a Christian life is supposed to be like. Uh, there's got to be something. Maybe I should just deny it, fake it, lie to the king, but God knows my heart, and, and that way I can hang around and be a witness a little bit longer. Oh, man, that's, that's American Christianity. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that are dying for Christ every single day of the year. In fact, they can document 16 people are martyred for the faith every day on the globe. They estimate 100 or more, but they can document 16 every day. And they look at Christianity in America as a pseudo-Christianity, a Disneyland Christianity, because we don't suffer or sacrifice for anything. I'm not being unkind, I'm one of us. I'm just stating facts. Whatever happened to though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Three Hebrew children. Hey, tell you what, our God is able to deliver us. That's not the question. He's able. But whether he will or not, we're not sure of that. But we we are sure of one thing. We're not bound down to you. We'll bow to him and him only. If we die, we die. Isn't that what Queen Esther said? If I die, I die. But I'm not going to compromise. And when a person has the joy of revival in their heart, there's a face of contentment. There's a face of satisfaction. I'd rather die happy than to live sad. Someone says repeatedly, well, that's just sad. shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be. It's a choice. Yes, somebody can rob you of your joy. Yes, somebody can trip you up. That's why we're commanded not to be a stumbling block. Yes, somebody can injure you and hurt you. But staying down is your choice. It's my choice. Yeah, I may not react instantly at first right, But stand down and wallowing in it, you mark it down, the person that's not happy will do their best to make you unhappy. Because they're not happy until you're unhappy. Because it bothers them that anyone can be happy when they're unhappy. Is that too many happies and unhappies? Did I lose you in there somewhere? You got it? When we have the joy in revival, there will be a face of satisfaction. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm caught between two two worlds here. I'd rather be with Jesus. But if I'm here, I can help you. How does he talk like that? Well, he follows up by saying, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for." Your furtherance and joy. He wants to help others be joy. Well, I don't know if I'm getting through, but I'm telling you. 
There's joy in revival. You get revived, you're going to find joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit, it's the force of strength, it's the face of satisfaction. And then lastly, it's free to sinners. Look in verses 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The implication, else would I give that. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. Listen, if you're here today and you do not have confidence of your eternal destiny. If you die and go to hell, you can't point your finger at God. You're not going to blame God. Today is the day of salvation. Now's the time for salvation. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He died for my sins. He died for the sins of the world. He was buried. He resurrected from the grave. You say, do you really believe that? Of course I believe that. He created the world. Jesus said to those that came to take his life, no man takes my life. I lay it down. I willingly lay it down of myself. And... I'm going to take it back. Why? He's God. He's God in the flesh. And Jesus can save you right here, right now. But for those of you that are saved, maybe you find yourself in the same category with David here. You've lost the joy of your salvation. Oh, maybe it's not because of adultery and murder and and other sins, major sins that we would all say are big sins. But you've lost the joy of your salvation. Rather than blaming somebody. Rather than pointing to somebody else. Rather than acknowledging a a stumbling block in your life. Rather than pointing the finger at someone that hurt you and hurt you deeply. Don't you want to be happy? Don't you want to have joy? You don't have to fix that relationship with that person that hurt you. You have to fix the relationship with God Almighty. That's what Psalm 51 is about. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And you're thinking, but I'm not the problem. And folks, that is the problem. That is the problem. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I love reading Charles Spurgeon. I try not to quote him too often. He says, quote, I would sooner be holy than happy if the two things could be divorced. Were it possible for a man always to sorrow and yet to be pure, I would choose the sorrow if I might win the purity. For to be free from the power of sin, to be made to love holiness, is true happiness. Before we'll see the joy of the Lord restored to our hearts before our life will just be overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord? 
We must be revived. Now consider with me, this will go right into the morning sermon. Do we get done at 10.15 or 10.20? Either. I'll wrap it up. I was hoping you'd say 10.20 because it gives me two minutes. If you said 10.15, I'm late. But since I'm late, I might as well be really late. Think of this. When we say revival, you know, I'm a guest speaker. I preach revivals throughout the year, and I try to ask preachers, what is your goal? What, is, what are you desiring? Because revival, your pastor knows I'm not exaggerating, revival meetings have morphed over the years. I'm not saying for the bad, but they're different than they were 50 years ago. And now uh, I usually attach a theme to it, revival of the family, the revival of purity, the revival of blah, 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 so that we can focus on a certain area. But if we're talking about revival, we all have a mindset of what that is. And so I'm going to ask you between now and church, what does revival mean to you? What are we looking for? Because that will largely determine whether you stay for the afternoon service and come back Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Because if you think we're not going to hit the target that you're hoping for, or liking, or desiring, there's no interest. Does that make sense? Not being critical, I'm just being upfront. But I'm going to do my best to teach and preach to a church that could and enjoy a Holy Spirit revival that will empower us to do far more than we in our own abilities are capable. So be thinking on that between now and the church service. What does revival look like to you? Just be looking for a few takeaways. Okay, it's 1019. I'm a minute early. Oh, it's 1020. Nuts! Okay, you're dismissed. <laughs>